0: Welcome to another episode of the Around the Keg podcast, your one-stop shop for hot takes and cold beer. I'm your host, Whit Barfield, and we've got a great show for you guys today. Lots of golf talk, debates about the unwritten rules of sports, and everyone and their mother cutting off the NBA. Hope you guys enjoy.
1: Oh hey wait I see you like that quote tweet I did earlier with um Brooks Kepka and Bryson Dude that was so <laughs> He's like oh f- Christ I hate Bryson DeChambeau Dude me too loser with his with his Kango hat and his golf clubs that are all the same length
2: and he likes to putt with the pin in so he can hit it as hard as he wants
1: Yeah and and the, and like the way he puts with god I hate him so much That being said I do think Brooks was being a little when he said um, He was. I agree. I was about to say oh, that but, Oh the crowd hit my knee <laughs> Bro, it like it, if you're gonna complain about, you know, the crowd being there for Phil and you know just go ahead and come out and say it. Don't be around the I punch. hated
0: I hated that he complained about that too. They kinda they kinda 'cause I like Brooks. I think he was just kinda butthurt. Yeah. Oh hell yeah he was butthurt.
2: I'm also I'm also kinda with him though. Like they were showing him walking up down the stairs and he was like on Thursday and he was gimping down the stairs yeah, like whenever yeah. he would bend down to read putts, he couldn't even bend his knee.
1: Well, I mean, Phil, you're paired with Phil in the final pairing. It's not it's yeah, not yeah, no, you I know, mean,
2: it, like it's it's not Phil's fault
1: that Phil did his job and uh, and Brooks shot a brick. You know what I'm saying?
2: I I think I think if Brooks would have if if he would have been out of the crowd already and then it came around, I don't think he would have had a problem with it.
1: I thought it was a, a good PGA tournament though. I thought it was awesome.
2: It was awesome to watch. Like there was, because the course was as difficult as it was. Like Sunday, going into Sunday, there was a ton of drama. You know, Brooks was hot at the end of Saturday. Phil was rolling. I, it was. It was cool. I was pulling for Phil. I like Brooks, but I was definitely pulling for Phil just because fifty years old hitting bombs. Like, gotta appreciate, respect. Gotta respect greatness. I, you know. There, there were
1: there were times on Sunday where Phil Phil could have gave it away if if Brooks would have played a little better or if if Oosthuizen would would played a little better, like it definitely would have, you know, been something to see. But they they definitely gave Phil you know a little buffer.
0: Oh yeah, I was actually I kind of felt bad for Phil because I think normally around this time right here is when the U.S. Open is right, isn't that usually the second major?
1: Um. The US Open, I think I think you're
0: right. Yeah, they usually do the Masters and then they do the US Open like right at the beginning of summer and Phil has never won the US Open. That's the only major he's never won. That's in that's And in this, two weeks, isn't it? It's in 2 weeks now instead of being, which is weird because they used to have the PGA Championship at the end of the year. It'd be like the kind of the fall championship like the end of the year before the Tour Championship hmm. and the end of the playoff and everything but they moved the PGA championship to in between the Masters and the US Open which i honestly don't understand at all hmm. but like this to me this tournament actually felt like the US Open because it because it was such a hard course the course played really fast that's usually how the US Open is that's why i enjoy watching it so much i felt bad for phil cuz he won it and he's never won a US Open that's that's the one he's been wanting to win the most
1: phil said something during his uh his post match interview he was like you know, this can either go one of two ways. Either this is going to be the last tournament I win or, you know, I figured something out and I could go on a little run here. I would like to see him, you know, win another one, but I think it's going to be kind of like what we experienced with Tiger uh, the last time he won the Masters. It's kind of his last hoorah, his last really good tournament, and then he's going to be just an average golfer from here on out.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like over and over again, we've seen Phil, and he can't even finish top twenty in a tournament this year. And then out of nowhere, he he finds his his old old self again. But I honestly think, I mean, and and I'm I I, I totally see what Witt's saying too, because it did feel a lot like a U.S. Open, and that's what makes me think that maybe Phil can hang around in, in, in the U.S. Open because the course is the great equalizer, and a lot of times I, I think with Phil. Like you can even see the way, like his body transformation over the past few years. Like he's looking good, he's lean, and I, I feel like with him hitting bombs like he is, like if he can play well enough to keep himself in contention, he, he his uh his veteran status kind of helps him out on those tougher courses, in my opinion.
1: I honestly, wonder I wonder what what Bryson even said.
2: Like, I've heard the the rumors, like, oh, yeah, that he said, like, you just got to read it on the right line or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. not talking about the putt. Cause, cause Brooks said something about, like, it's tough to putt on these greens. Like, everyone seems to be having trouble. And then, like, Bryson said something. But, but then some people were saying it was just because Bryson was wearing those damn metal spikes. So he was yeah. like, clack, clack. That's, a, that's what I thought
0: it was. I thought he was just walking by him to be rude as. Shit.
2: And yeah. that's why Brooks
0: was getting all pissed off.
2: I don't know. I, but honestly, I feel like Bryson was doing it. He did that intentionally, whatever it was. That he for did, sure. it, and then somebody put, I don't remember, somebody was saying that Bryson was talking about how good he hit a shot on 17 and then how good, it, like how he hit a great shot on 18. And Brooks was just like, why the hell are you walking past my interview and talking about how great of a shot that you hit on 17 and 18? Like, <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Bri- Brooks definitely should have not let it get to him as much. He could have just kept on going with the interview. And I think that's why, like, there's also that element of like, all right, Brooks, like be a little be a little mentally tougher than this. But I, I it's great for golf if that those two have a rivalry. Because I feel like all of us are on the same page. None of us like Bryson. I feel like a majority of people dislike Bryson. And well, yeah. weirdly enough, like a lot of people dislike Brooks Kepka too. Like I did, I thought that Brooks was kind of like a man of the people. And after this whole incident, like it seems like Brooks is kind of on the on the outskirts, like uh, after the after the uh, thing was over, like Brooks was obviously pissed off because of the crowd and he dinged his knee up. And then one of the guys was like, "Brooks kept ca- cusses and says mean things on the on the course." Brooks kept ca- cusses. and like that's not good for the game of golf. And it was like, "All right, dude," like Tiger Woods cusses, <laughs> Justin Thomas cusses. Ti-
1: t- Tiger Woods back back in you know let's say, let's say two thousand seven and 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 on, he he had a bad habit of of just letting them fly. I mean he was he he was chucking clubs, like he looked he reminded me a lot of of me currently when when I hit a bad shot and just <laughs> want, want to throw my clubs and <laughs> clubs into the pond
2: I don't know i I kind of like that though it's like authenticity like you don't get yes, that that all that I love that I
0: understand like, like maybe as a parent not wanting your kids to see that, but
1: i would ask around. I would ask those parents how many times do they cuss in front of their kids uh, on a daily basis probably plenty i
2: I think it's funny though because like with Tiger and Phil, when they were coming up, there was like the respect that they had between each other, but they were like polar opposite personalities. Like Phil has always been one to kind of chum it up with the kids and, you know, he's be more friendly. And he's like the, the, the consummate role model. Like, Oh, he's lefty. He's funny. He's got the, you know, the good guy thing going for him. So everybody loves him. And then you had Tiger who was just brash and unfiltered and throwing golf clubs into his bag. And everyone like, all the old heads of golf are like, oh my God, can you believe he did that? And it's like, dude, really? I mean, have you you ever played golf with anyone that's, that's not very good because that's what we all do. We all do that. And if you think that like, oh, golf is supposed to be the gentleman's game, like go to any country club in whatever metro area that you are in. And you will hear more cuss words than tiger woods on any given Sunday.
1: All right. So kind of, Switching gears here, but staying on the same topic of old heads. What do you guys feel about the unwritten rules of sports? You know where I'm going here, right? Oh,
0: dude, I am so sick of all these unwritten rules, professionalism in sports. I understand to a degree, like you don't want to be, you don't want to be like too too bad. But I mean, like look like talking about baseball, which is I'm sure what you're kind of bringing up here. Yes, the whole um, what what do they call them? The the uraminator? the whole urinator thing. He hits, he hits the home run off a uh, off a position player on, what was it, a 3-0 count? It was a 3-0 yes. count in an
2: 11-run game. Yeah, yeah. and an 11-run like, game, is that what it was? Yeah, it was 15-4. to four yeah. And, like, okay, it, here's my issue with the whole damn thing. How the hell are we going to go through this thing and be like, hey, it's okay to pitch a position player, but tell your guy not to hit a home run off of him because that would be rude. Like okay, you're throwing a position player. It's three zero. If he throws a strike, I'm taking the daddy hack. And it was like forty nine miles an hour. So like, it's harder to hit that for a major leaguer than it is a ball that's coming ninety five because they never see it. And you got to time that up. And I mean, it pissed me off that Larusa threw his own guy under the bus. Yeah. like I, I don't know these, these these old managers in baseball. Like I understand some of the rules. Like, but but come on, man. Like that that was that was fine.
3: Yeah, he threw his guy under the bus and was talking about there's going to be lots of consequences and whatever he's going to have to face. But his own teammates were defending him on, on social media. So, like, the the club's not together there. The manager has no control over his club. He's being an old head. and The guys aren't behind him with it either. Which, does like, it doesn't surprise me because when you hire a guy
2: in Tony La that's already in the Hall of Fame, there's no reason, like... I don't understand why they hired him in the first place because he was retired. Like, okay, I get it. You want an older guy that can kind of come in and give some insight to a really young, talented ball club. But that's not the way that it works. And then the next day, the Twins did retaliate and they drilled the guy. And it's like, all right, Twins, you pitched a position player in an 11-run game. And you're saying, oh, he shouldn't have swung 3-0. Like, come on, man. He's not showing anybody up. Throw a real pitcher out there if you care about the sanctity of the game
1: yeah so for for Tony LaRusa, talk about hypocrisy respect the game but get a DUI before he gets hired you know what I'm saying like ha, like like you're you're not the right person to say respect the game and how you respect the game is you play hundred and ten percent at all times for the team that is paying you millions of dollars you're you're not there to to be nice to the other team that obviously no. screwed up and didn't have enough relief pitchers to actually you know, pitch for the game, they had to throw a position player in there. So if I'm that guy and I see uh, a curveball left over the middle of the plate at 30 miles an hour, I'm cranking it. Well, and baseball, player, baseball players are paid on their stats.
0: Exactly. That's, that's where their money comes from. How, how are you as a baseball player going to – when you see a home run just sitting there right in the middle of the zone, Crank how can it. you not swing at that? And how can I, you
1: not swing at that? I'm respecting the game by giving my team – one hundred and ten percent, giving the fans what they want to see. The fans want to see home runs. They want to see long home runs. So yeah. I'm, giving, I'm giving the fans what they want to see. So you know, I think that he respected the game by going Yahtzee
2: on that guy. Absolutely. And and what's ironic is something that Wit said is you want to see guys or uh, Lando said you want to see guys play one hundred and ten percent all the time. But when guys do that, and and I'll I'll it was something we were talking about earlier. A guy we talked about earlier, Bryce Harper he comes up and he played the game at 110% all the time. And everyone was like, Oh, stop being a try hard. He's being douchey. He's, he thinks he's better than the game. And it's like, he's just playing the game hard. So it's a, it's a, it's a lose, lose for these guys. Like, Oh, you play the game hard. You play the game, you know, fast. And like Pete Rose, everyone hated Pete Rose. He was the same way. Like he was brash. He didn't really give a crap what anybody thought he was going to go up there and he, he played baseball. Um, now, it's it's different. Like in in high school and stuff like that. There's and even in college, there's mercy rules, so you wouldn't see that happen a lot. But like, come on, it, it, if you are not going to have a real pitcher in the game, and you're going to complain about a three zero swing, I just I, I think that
3: that's being a bit dramatic. Personally, so yeah. Trevor Bauer tweeted, "Dear hitters, if you hit a three zero homer off me, I won't consider it a crime." Can't believe we're still talking about three zero swings. If you don't like it, managers and pitchers just be better. So even you even got pitchers defending it. I
2: I I go back and forth on Trevor Bauer. I don't really like him a lot of times. <laughs> Wish we had him. Like if you have 90. him, you love him. But but he's he's very Bryson DeChambeau of of baseball. Like
3: he <laughs> is.
2: It, it, it's so many people hate Trevor Bauer, but at the same time, he's done so much to elevate players. Like like whenever they were like the MLB was like you can't wear your brand in your press conference. And so he wears a piece of paper on his shirt that says, not my logo here. And it's like, <laughs> so that just gets more people to Google. What is Trevor Bauer's logo? Like, and, and it's, it's just helping him build his brand. So like and his agent, Rachel, I, I, I get her because she has been huge in advancing the the sports world for women and then also being a benefit to the players and saying, Hey, look, This is this is what we need to do. We need to be marketing our players better. MLB stop being in the 1950s and just using the players for revenue and not really marketing them, and your sports dying.
0: Yeah, I mean that's one thing too with the White Sox. Like, I don't even know why they brought in a guy like Tony Larusso. I understand like he's won World Series and stuff before, but but the way the game is changing and how young the White Sox are with their young like young core with Tim Anderson and guys like that. You would think they'd want to bring in a guy who's not so like unwritten rules, more so like let the kids play kind of deal. And because, I mean, that's what a lot of people are doing nowadays. That's where you're seeing from teams, the more the teams that are being more successful are guys that let their guys play. Um, I mean, Brian Snicker's been that way since he's been there, except for the fact that he didn't let Ronald Acuna hit a lefty at bat. (laughs)
3: against a position player that was a little that was a little different i think that was kind of like all right don't be a don't be be up there don't get hurt yeah yeah there's a difference
0: between unwritten rules and just being a full-on like being a dick Honestly.
3: (laughs) yeah yeah exactly
2: and and but that's where old heads don't understand that like they feel like that anything that may possibly show up your opponent is an unwritten rule and it's like all right look a 3 0 pitch in an 11 run game, if there's a pitcher in, you're probably not going to swing at it, most likely. But you're putting a position player in there. Clearly, you don't care about the sanctity of the game if you're using a position player. I'm going yaya with it. Oh, yeah. All
0: right, guys, let's go ahead and get into the mailbag. We got a couple questions here. Uh, first up, we got a few from our good buddy uh, Kissler106. His first question is Who wins all time Alabama? Versus all time Miami, who
1: y'all got? I'll answer this question first. The real answer to this question is neither, because all time Oklahoma would would beat both of those teams. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> wait, 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 I'm uh-huh. serious. I'm serious. The 1985 Oklahoma Sooners beast, and then and then you you know you, you throw in Adrian Peterson in there. Hell, we have we have like you know four Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks to choose from. You know what I'm saying? We got all these receivers. Uh, Brian Bosworth. Come on, Boomer Sooner. I think I don't. I don't think he's asking who's the best. Who has the best players of all time? Bama, Miami. I think he's just I, asking who wins. Oh, I'm just saying. Neither specific. Neither. <laughs> they both lose. They both lose. Oklahoma. Oklahoma comes in out of nowhere with a steel we, chair.
2: We were actually talking about this the other night, and I, I was like, I feel like it would be a really good game, um, but they a lot of the the great all time Alabama players like Derek Thomas, uh, Cornelius Bennett on defense like Alabama was such a defensive heavy team for a long time that most of the offensive players are going to be from like a more modern game like DeVonte Smith would be there Amari Cooper Julio Jones like the receivers would be nasty against Michael Irvin um you would have Ray Lewis and Ed Reed on the defensive side for Miami like I think it would be a really good game um I, I don't know it it would be it would be a good game I, I'd go all time Bama just. Oh, I wonder why. Exactly. I mean, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to, I'm not an Alabama fan if I pick Miami here, right? No, you're not.
0: No, you're not. And honestly, I'm going with Alabama too. And I'm going with them for the same reason you did too, Matt, because you're right. Alabama has the players for the more modern style of offense, but they also have some of those hard nosed players from back in the day. So they can play both kinds of football. So if they need to be physical with the old Miami teams, they can be, but Miami has never had that, like, spread, modern-day offense. They just haven't had it yet, and they don't have it right now either, um, even though they've changed it quite a bit since back in the day. but I, yep. I, would, I would take Alabama all the time.
2: The other reason that I picked that is because in the 1993 Sugar Bowl, those two teams played against each other, and Alabama won. So, and Miami was kind of in their heyday at the time. Just saying.
1: I'd go Miami just with uniforms. <laughs> Uh, we'll go
0: to uh, kisser underscore 106's next question, and that is best fits for Brian Bohannon in FBS. And if y'all don't know who that is, that's the uh, Kennesaw State head coach.
2: If I if, if I if I were to say he's uh, most likely going to go to like a Mac school or a Sunbelt school, a, a group of five school, he may slide into an American Conference team um, if they have an opening. But it's like making the jump from FBS to for FC like FCS to FBS. Um, you see that happen with guys like Willie Fritz, who did it with Georgia Southern and then moved over to Tulane. You just don't. You're most likely you're not going to go from a Kennesaw State job to a Tennessee or an Auburn or even like an uh, an Iowa or if a job of that same tier were to come open. That that's just my thoughts there.
3: What style of offense does Kennesaw State run? Do we know? Triple option, Trip, it's triple option. Okay, yeah, Georgia Southern.
0: <laughs> yeah, see, I was. I was going to say Georgia Southern too, but I'm. I want to look at teams realistically who might have would have coaching changes. Maybe I mean Georgia Southern could have a coaching change, but if we do, I, I wouldn't. Go if there, we had a, though, <laughs> if we had a coaching change, I don't think we'd go for a triple option head coach. I think we'd go try to change it to a spread. So I think if he was going to go to an FBS team, and I've kind of been looking at more like uh, power five teams, not as much group of five. I could see him going to a team like Kansas or a team like, um, I don't know, like Oregon State's been good. I don't want to say Oregon State. Maybe Washington State. Like a team that they don't really compete much. Um, Vanderbilt, a team that doesn't really compete a ton. They kind of need to switch it up. Um, I think a triple option would be kind of interesting to see in the Big 12. I don't think Kansas will ever really be able to compete, but it it would be interesting to see what a triple option would look like in a power five conference that was not ran by Paul Johnson. So I'm
1: going to, I'm going to tell you right now how, how the triple option would work in the big 12. It'd be, it'd be 150 to zero. I'm telling you. You know, you know, the
0: triple option, the triple option are usually the teams that give out, that give Oklahoma fits during the regular season.
1: I mean, the triple option gives lots of teams fits because nobody, nobody runs it. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying is, is in the big 12, a lot of people run a spread.
0: And there, it's fast-paced, high-scoring offenses.
1: If a team consistently ran the triple option in the Big Twelve, and they had you know a year to prepare for it, uh, it wouldn't be pretty. It Wouldn't be pretty. <laughs> I mean, it, it'd be the same for for an SEC school or an ACC ACC school. I mean, look at Georgia Tech. You know, they can't they can't recruit the same type of players that all these other teams uh, can recruit if they if they run a spread. Georgia Southern gets lucky.
0: No, we do get lucky. We don't win. We don't win because of offense anymore. Exactly.
1: Win. We win because defense, defense. is really good, and and we may get lucky on offense and score a couple points. And kickers and kickers and kickers and kickers. Watching Georgia ah another tangent down a rabbit hole. Watching Georgia Southern <laughs> football frustrates me on offense. You man. baby, it's, it's horrible?
0: Our defense has been really solid though since Longster's been there. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah, defense is good. But imagine if we had just. A, a decent S- offense a, just a decent offense you know yeah
2: uh oh, it'd be nice I, I i attest a lot of the defense though being to the guy our defensive coordinator the one that we pulled from app state
0: oh yeah i'm not giving i'm not giving lunsford that credit
2: so and, and then we'll see this year we, we new offensive coordinator we'll see we'll see this year
1: new offensive coordinator i've right? uh, uh, right? already done with that triple option bulls shotgun triple option it's no. the same same I, thing I,
2: I imagine it's going to be the same thing but I I felt like, and, and this was one system. of the, and, and oh, I, yeah, because if you're going to run the triple option, got to do it from under center, or yes, do it, yeah, don't, don't do it, or at least the pistol, like Willie Fritz was running oh. stuff from the pistol.
1: It, the triple option is, is designed to not go backwards, so, so why are you, right. why are you, why are you going to start five yards behind the line of scrimmage, you're already, already yes. losing ground,
2: yes. you know? I've 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 said the same exact thing many many times. Look, like I mean, but really though, what if if you're playing the ground and pound, you're you're putting yourself 15 yards that you've got to get instead of 10. It makes no sense.
0: I think if we're gonna run the shotgun triple option, it needs to be more like the read option that Auburn was running back in 2013 with Nick Marshall, and
1: that didn't even work.
0: They got to the natty. <laughs> Did they win the natty? They almost did. They were close.
1: And and actually, you know what? They only got to the natty because they got lucky. Twice.
2: Against Alabama. They did get lucky. I, wonder, I, w-
1: I wonder what they got lucky in one of those games. I wonder who they played, Matt.
2: I uh, I mean, I'm passing kick six. We won two oh, national and, championships. Oh, and and and, and
1: and and let's dive deeper into Excuse that rabbit hole. Three
2: national championships since then.
1: Who did y'all end up playing that year in in, in that Sugar Bowl? Hmm. Luke, we,
2: we
0: got beat by Oklahoma pretty good. How does Oklahoma keep getting brought up in these conversations? <laughs> They're not even on the script.
3: <laughs> it's because we keep bringing up Georgia, Alabama, and all the teams we like. So Lando has to f- f- put himself in the pot somehow because people keep putting these questions in here.
0: Don't worry, Lando. I got plenty to say about Oklahoma once we actually start talking about once we start talking about season predictions and stuff. I got plenty to say. I'm not going to say Oklahoma.
1: anything. I'm keeping my
0: mouth shut. I know. I know you're Bye. not. I'm going to say Bye, it for man. you. I'm gonna say it for you. No, once no, we get I don't to it. I'm gonna
2: keep my mouth shut. But see, Lando, that's a smart thing to do. That's the difference between Georgia fans and Oklahoma fans. See? Georgia fans oh, thank tell you. the whole world. They're, they're, I don't say anything. Georgia. I didn't Y'all Georgia saw, my, y'all saw my predictions. They're gonna win it every y'all saw single my
0: predictions. Year. I had Georgia, I had Georgia losing the, in the SEC championship. Every this
1: year. single <laughs> year. I will never
0: pick Georgia to win anything again. Every, every single year. year.
1: Georgia's,
0: year. Georgia's gonna go to we'll a never. national
1: championship.
0: I'll we'll never pick Georgia Sports team to win anything ever again. Ever. Won't do it. Until it happens.
1: I will never keep- buy a jersey again until it happens, too. I'm keeping my mouth shut. I'm not saying anything. <laughs>
0: okay. All right. Let's move on. I'm done, with, I'm done with this Kennesaw State question that somehow turned into an Oklahoma, Georgia, Alabama question. Oh, okay.
1: well, <laughs> well, guess, well, guess what? When we, when we get to that, that loser Picorni-Aaron's question, is, 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 we're, 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 we're going we're to go, go right back down the same rabbit hole.
0: <laughs> well, wait. We'll, we'll jump back in once we get over there. All right. All right we got some more questions from uh, Chad S underscore 529. His first question is, did the FCS spring season open the door for future spring college football? No. No,
2: I, I <laughs> completely agree. Absolutely not. I didn't even watch a minute of FCS. I nope, didn't watch all. it at all.
0: I watched the championship for like the first half because I had my buddy Danny over here and he wanted to watch it. And as soon as he left, I cut it off and started watching golf.
1: I'm going to answer this question in the same amount of time that I spent watching FCS spring season. Next question.
0: All right, on to Chad's next question. Uh his question is what first year SEC head coach will have the most success? And I listed them for you because I know y'all don't know who all got hired. And by y'all I mean Lando. Hey. Yeah. <laughs>
2: uh I, I honestly think Brian Harson, because they have the most pieces in place at Auburn already. And then so I think his his biggest challenge is getting people to buy into to his systems and he's coming from uh Boise over to the sec and and this is really a hire that the the athletic department was able to make without the boosters being super involved in because the boosters had their way they probably would have thrown a a huge check a a huge blank check at uh at lane kiffin or somebody that was a a, would be a splash hire um so i I personally think brian harson was a sneaky good hire for Auburn, just because he's going to bring a new voice to a team that has a lot of talent on the roster.
1: I'm going to pick this guy, Clark Lee, because there's only one way to go for him, and that's up. He can't fail that uh, an already failing program, so you can only make it better, kind of.
0: I'm going to go Brian Harson, too. And honestly, the only reason I'm going Brian Harson is because I don't think the other three are going to have very good years, at least in their first year. I think Hypel's uh, a good coach. I think once he gets a couple of recruiting classes in there at Tennessee, he's gonna do a pretty good job. But they've already had all their best players transferred to Oklahoma. So it's it's not like they're
2: they have a lot of talent for him to work with. And
0: Alabama. We got the we got the linebacker. And they got the line yep, and Alabama got the linebacker and a couple other places here and there. But most of their best players are now
3: on Oklahoma's roster. Yes, they're already dealing with a huge dumpster fire. There, it, he's got to put that out first before he can actually start building some new foundation.
0: Yeah, but I mean, even that being said, I still think he's probably gonna have a better year than Shane Beamer or Clark Lee. I mean, those two programs really are in a good spot right now. I don't really think they've done anything this offseason to make it look better. South Carolina is just
3: kind of there, honestly. Yeah. They're not really doing much.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think long term, um, long term, I think Beamer has a good chance to have success. I think Hypo will have a good chance to have success. But for this year, at least, I'm going to go with Brian
2: Harson for sure. So, this is a little off topic, but speaking of South Carolina and the Shane Beamer situation, I was talking to a guy the other day that I met, and we were talking about, like, you know, he obviously, he said, I obviously know who you're going to go for, for for greatest coach of all time. But he was like, I've got to make an argument for a guy named Steve Spurrier. And I was like, well, that's that's a bit interesting. And he was like, when you look at all the programs that Saban has won at LSU, Alabama, those were already pretty well established programs. When he came in, he had all the history and he's just a great recruiter and, you know, utilized everything that they had already and improved on it. And I mean, he's a great coach. He won with it. Steve Spurrier went to Florida when they really didn't have they weren't really great at the time. He brings a fun and gun to the SEC. He wins at Florida. He goes to the NFL, falls on his face, goes to South Carolina. And South Carolina really is never – I mean, they've been okay. They've had their decent years. But he had them, like, nationally relevant pretty much year in and year out. Since he's left, what has South Carolina been? They've been nothing but, like, hype coming into every year. Like, they've been pretty bad. So, just wanted to gauge your thoughts on that conversation.
0: I mean, honestly – Growing up, when I was like first really starting to get into football, I always thought that South Carolina – well, at first it was Florida. But um, for most of my time watching football up until Kirby Smart was hired, to me, South Carolina was the best team in the SEC East. Even though they really didn't win it a lot, they always always beat the crap out of us. And Florida did too for a while when they had Urban. But then when they lost Urban, uh, Georgia would beat Florida most of the time when they had uh, Muschamp. Uh, they are freaking terrible when they had the shark whatever f- his name was McElwain McElwain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Steve Spurrier was there from 2005 to what? 2015. And pretty much besides like the last three years he was there, they were a top 10, top 15 program in college football. And you've seen what South Carolina is right now. They're not even close, not even top 30. I mean, Champ had them top 25, I think, one year. They went 10-2. So it's it's a harder place to coach that than people think. Go ahead and move on to the next question. This one's from uh, our good buddy, Pokory Aaron. His
1: name's Pokory Aaron. <laughs> Pokory
0: <Picorni, laughs> Aaron. And uh, his question is, biggest pro slash con for Georgia this season. Are they number one slash championship worthy? Are you guys making me go first? Okay, I guess I'm going first. Uh, biggest pro for Georgia. I think this is the most talented offense that we've had in years. Um, it's at least under Kirby Smart. There's tons of receivers. We're deep. We got JT Daniels who can actually throw a ball further than 15 yards down the field. I'd say that. And then con for sure, secondary. We have a lot of inexperience in the secondary, uh, specifically at corner. We brought in a couple of really good transfers, but most of them are going to be for the star safety position. Uh, the corners are going to be first-year guys, and I think Clemson's going to tear us up first game. Um, are they number one worthy preseason? Absolutely not. Championship worthy? I think there's definitely a chance Georgia can win a national championship. I'm not sitting here picking them. I wouldn't put money down on them to win one just because of the fact that Georgia and Kirby Smart obviously have had an issue of getting over the Nick Saban hump. Um, and the fact that Oklahoma's going to be really solid this year, Clemson's going to be really solid this year. Ohio State brings back a lot of their guys from last year. Um, If they can get the quarterback situation down, I think they're going to have a really good year. But I think I think there's a chance, yeah. I think Georgia's a top-five team this year. I think they can make a run for sure.
1: If I had a dollar for every time I heard a Georgia fan say, this is one of the most talented offenses that we've had, I'd be a very rich man. Be very rich. Loaded, in fact. I don't know what the biggest pro for, for Georgia is. I, I'll i say JT Daniels looks looks to be pretty good. So that's that's a pro. Biggest con? Uh, the biggest con for Georgia is going to be the fact that they're Georgia. They'll find some way to screw it up. Are they number one championship worthy? Well, the way they recruit, they should be number one championship worthy every year. But like I said, their biggest con is they're Georgia, so they're going to find a way to screw it up. There's my answer to that question, Corny
2: Aaron. I'm I'm kind of with Wit here in a lot of ways. Obviously, the the biggest pro for Georgia is JT Daniels. He's the second best quarterback in the East preseason. Or in the SEC, at least preseason, probably the best quarterback in the East. The only one that I have ahead of him is Matt Corral, and that's because he, the stupid numbers he put up last year under Lane Kiffin uh, and Jeff Levy's offense at Ole Miss. So the biggest pro is definitely JT Daniels, and but I think the biggest con is George Pickens going down. I mean, that's obviously the number one receiver. Uh, a lot of chemistry there between him and JT, um, and, and that's a that's a that's also a pretty big loss no matter how you look at it, um, is Georgia number one or championship worthy? Uh, I will say that I think Georgia definitely worries me this year. As far as SEC championship goes, like if Alabama does make it, I mean, Alabama lost a lot last year. I mean, I, obviously we've got a lot of guys that will be coming up and filling in slots, but first re- uh, two first-round receivers, first-round quarterback, first-round running back, uh, first-round offensive lineman that's that's a lot to lose and then not even not even considering the second round uh center i think i think georgia's got a good chance to win uh the sec and if they do then they'll obviously have a chance to play for the championship i think the game against clemson's a big indicator for georgia for their season um it, it, to to see where they stand personally i i think that they that's a game that, that they should win um but I really don't know. I mean, uh, I think Georgia should definitely be contending for a championship year in and year out, like Lando said, with the recruits that they have. Um, and sometimes Kirby Smart's game management can be a con. He has he is, he is overthought a lot of games, typically against Alabama, where it's almost like he freaks out and makes rash decisions i.e. the 4th and 11, like, fake punt on the 50-yard line. Like, what are we doing there, Kirby? But, uh, yeah, Georgia should definitely be contending for, for a championship. Don't think they're one number one yet. Um, JT putting up flashy numbers is going to potentially put them there. Well said,
0: Matt. We'll go ahead and move on to our next question. This is from C Koch 7 and his question is, who is better, Julio Jones or DeAndre Hopkins? What do you all think?
1: Mm, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm going to go. Damn, that's a really good question because they're both they're both like really good, really good re- uh, receivers. They can both take the top off of defense. They can both go get any ball that's thrown to him, man. I'm going to go Julio. Julio is a better receiver.
2: So if you're asking me at this point in their career, like who would I rather have right now? I'd go Hopkins because he's 28. Julio is like 33. Yep. But if you're asking me, they're both. Fresh out of college, I get to choose one, I'm going Julio because he's done it for so long. And I mean, he's been he's been the top three receiver for the last ten years, it feels like.
0: Matt, what about in a one one season scenario for next season? Who would you take, Julio or Hopkins? Just one season, not long term. One season,
2: probably Hopkins. Again, age, age, age factors gotcha. in there for me. Like Hopkins is twenty-eight, Julio is thirty-three. A little more wear and tear. So, like, if, if both – if the Falcons called me and the Cardinals called me and said you can have this guy for the same trade, I'd, I'd, I'd go Hopkins next season. Julio is – don't get me wrong. I mean, it, it's, it's a close decision, but I, it really just comes down to age for me.
3: You know, since we're talking about Julio, um, I guess you guys have probably all seen that Julio basically is, is done in Atlanta. He said so himself. So, where do we think that Julio is going to end up? Or do we think he gets locked into kind of a Deshaun Watson scenario where he's kind of stuck somewhere and, and he can't get out? He's moving up here. He's playing for the Titans. He's going to take number 11 from A.J. Brown. So
2: here's here's where I think you should go. I think he, and because – and call me crazy. If I was the Chicago Bears, I would be calling and trading for him immediately. You've got an elite defense already. You've got a young quarterback who's got a lot to learn. You have Allen Robinson and now you add Julio Jones. If if you want to give Justin Fields some weapons and see see how fast he can grow up and a guy who can he can who can help him grow up, I think Julio would be a great role model for him to have there as someone to to work with. And uh I I mean, the Bears make so much sense to me, but he doesn't seem to have an interest in going there. The two teams I've heard, the Patriots and the Titans, and I think both of those make sense. Um, But in in weird ways, like, I don't think that Ryan Tannehill nor Cam Newton are the quarterbacks that I would want to play for if I was Julio Jones. Like, if I I was going to pick a team, I would want to go somewhere where I was going to be featured with a quarterback that is is top notch or a high draft pick like Justin Fields, who could potentially show out and do like a Justin Herbert type thing from last year. I, that would be that would just be me though. If I if I'm the Bears, I'd be picking up the phone and calling the Falcons, trying to to get something done. I think
0: I think he's going to end up going to the Titans. Honestly, um, it, yeah, Matt's right. It does sound like it's either going to be the Titans or the Patriots. Um, assuming that the Falcons do end up trading him. If I were him, if and if I was could pick out of any team instead of just those two. I think the two teams I would try to play for the Bears. I think are a little unrealistic just because of the fact that they gave up so much to go get Justin Fields. They don't have a lot of trade value in return. Not that I, I, I'm sure the Falcons will give away for a Snickers bar and like a Coke machine or something. But that's, but realistically, I don't see the Bears going after him. I think the Rams with Matthew Stafford and the Chargers with Justin Herbert would be a lot of fun to watch uh, Julio play for. And those are two teams that. I think for the next five years are going to be maybe not Super Bowl contender, but at least top 10-ish teams in the league. So I think the Chargers are going to take a couple more years. The Rams should be a Super Bowl contender this year, assuming
3: Stafford stays healthy. But um, those would be my top two. So this just in, uh, John Hurst being traded for Julio Jones. Get a (laughs) little swap going up. John Hurst to Atlanta. Hey, I'd take it. We need some speed
2: the other team that I would be reaching out to, or that I, if I were this team, I'd be reaching out to Julio Green Bay. Like, yeah, right. You want to, you want to keep, you want to keep Rogers happy, pick up the phone. You want to keep him there. And and he's even said today that it wasn't Jordan love that, that made him want, make him want to leave. It's the Packers vision for the future. You want to change the vision for the future, pair up Devonte Adams, who was a top three receiver last year. With Julio Jones, because then and, and give him Aaron Rodgers that that could be some, do some damage. I mean, obviously, if I'm Julio, I don't want to go play at Lambo. I'd go. To, I'd want to go to San Diego or, excuse me, Los Angeles. Play for the Chargers. I, I still forget the Chargers aren't in San Diego anymore. <laughs> That's the dumbest thing ever.
0: All right, guys, we're gonna move on to our last question. This one's from at Nick Rayberg. Uh, his question is: What are y'all's NBA playoff picks?
1: The Brooklyn Nets are when healthy unstoppable offensively you can't you can't stop him at all uh i would like to see the hawks make a little run for it trey young boomer sooter has ice in his veins he played he, he played a really good game the uh the other day so i, I want to see the hawks but i'm going to pick the uh brooklyn nets and also lebron's a
3: yeah
2: the the i'm I'm assuming we've all seen the lebron thing the other day and it, and it was on a pmt where big cat talked about the, the how he he hurt his shoulder there's a scuffle on the other side like uh, of the court where LeBron wasn't. So he's not in the limelight anymore. So he gets up, walks over to where the fight was and then falls down to a knee, like dragging all the attention to him. Uh, But because LeBron is LeBron and because the Lakers have him and Anthony Davis, it's hard for me, even with them as the seven seed and them being banged up to pick against the Lakers in the West. Like, I, the the Suns, I, I think that they they have all the pieces to do it, but they're really really young, and sometimes that youth can uh, get the best of teams. Like whenever Paul George was the Pacers, and they had LeBron's heat on the brink of elimination, and they blew it. Um, I I I just think LeBron is he's still a great basketball player, even though he is a very big wimp. Um, and and I really don't like him that much, but credit where credit is due him and AD are still who they are. And, uh, so in the West, I I would love to see the Clippers actually do something. I'd love to see Clippers nets like Kawhi and, and the defense that he plays going up against James Harden and Durant. And, but the nets to me are unstoppable. Like Lando said, James Harden, Kyrie and, and KD. So, uh, I'd love to see the Hawks do something. I really don't watch the NBA anymore; it's it kind of bores me. But that's—I would say—I'm going to say, say Lakers Nets. That's what the media wants. Yeah, honestly,
0: I can see the Lakers making a run too. Um, I think they are going to knock off the Suns. From what I—I I watched a little bit of it. From what I did watch, it didn't look like they were really competing that well. But I think Chris Paul kind of got hurt a little bit in that game, and I think that's going to steer him off track a little bit. I think in the West, it's either going to end up being the Jazz, or it's going to be the Trailblazers out of nowhere. I think they're a good team. I'm a big Damian Lillard guy. I think he's he's quiet, and he's a stud, and he always puts up great numbers. Um, I think he's a good leader, so I could see them kind of sneaking their way out of there. Um, but I'm going to say Jazz and Nets. I think Nets are going to probably sweep them. The Nets are too good. Um, part of the reason I don't really like watching basketball that much is because um, – a lot of these teams just like to stack their players with absolute superstars. And the Nets are like the worst of that that I've ever seen in my whole life. So, but obviously, I'm definitely cheering for the Hawks. Uh, Trey Young had the buzzer beater to beat the Knicks the other day um, in a really good basketball game. It's one of the probably the first basketball game I've watched all year where I've actually watched it from start to finish. Um, and I've been surprised with how good the Hawks look um, after getting rid of Lloyd Pierce, bringing in Nate McMillan as the head coach. Um, they've looked like a completely different team. So i uh, hoping the Hawks at least make it a couple rounds in. I think there's no shot that they beat the Nets or the Sixers, but um, it'd be cool to see them make
2: a run. One more thing on the LeBron thing. I hate how the media positions it to where, like, when LeBron does LeBron things, like, oh, my God, we've got to just appreciate the fact that they were a seven seed and they knocked off the two seed. Like, let, let's just look at it in in, in reality for a second. Like LeBron and Anthony Davis on any given day can beat any team. So why are we making it? And especially in a seven game series like that, that, that that's what more of my issues with LeBron is the media narrative about everything that he does. It's like, all right, look, why are we trying to make him the underdog here? He's, he's not the underdog, but I
0: digress. <laughs> all right, guys,
2: let's go ahead and jump into our poor
0: one out, cut them off segment. Lando,
1: you want to go first? Alright, so this week I am pouring one out for the PGA Championship, whose ratings absolutely destroyed the NBA playoffs this past Sunday. The PGA Championship had a 50% more viewership than any NBA game that was played on Sunday. So, score for golf, which is a sport that a lot of people think is boring. You got to really sit down and watch golf. It's not as boring as you think it is. And I am cutting off NASCAR and racing in the downpouring rain in cars that you can't see in. Kevin Harvick had the line of the weekend saying that this was one of the most dangerous things he's ever done in his entire career. It's the most dangerous he's felt in a race car because they couldn't see. If you go look at one of the replays with Martin Truex and I forget the other driver... Trucks is slowing down, and the other driver just crashes right into the back of him and causes a huge wreck. Super dangerous. Uh, NASCAR is not meant to be raced in downpouring rain just because of the the wake and the spray that these cars put in the air. It's impossible to see. It's not like Formula One where, you know, the the water is dispersed in, in ways that drivers can see at high rates of speed. we got to fix, you know, these race cars to where drivers can see and be safe. So that's what I'm doing for this
3: week. You know, actually, Lando, you'd be pretty proud of me. On the way back from Nashville, uh, our, our buddy Huddy had the the race pulled up in the car, so we watched the entire race on the way back from Nashville this weekend. No it well, I, you know, you know me, I don't watch that much NASCAR, but I actually watched a whole lot of this one, and it was it's was actually pretty entertaining for me, someone who doesn't normally watch everything. It was kind of entertaining to see. You know, oh, the guys were starting out. They weren't sure whether to use the the, the slick tires or, or the wet tires. You don't have to forgive me if I'm not using the right terminology, right. but it it was it was actually pretty entertaining for me to, to see them have to go all through, uh, through all these different things and um, you had so many red flags and a lot of accidents. The the course itself, the road course, is actually really interesting. And, and you know they were sliding all over the place. They were they were hardly on the course. It, it was pretty entertaining for me to watch, as being someone that doesn't watch that much.
1: Yeah, I I think that. This racetrack could be good once NASCAR goes to the next-gen car, which is going to be more suited towards road course racing. The cars that they're running right now are real heavy stock cars, and the track they raced on this past Sunday is is an F1 cr- track. It was made for light Formula 1 cars, so the corners are super tight. It's kind of hard for them to move around. They look kind of slow. I think next year the, track's, the race is going to be a lot better. Matt.
2: Yeah, and keys. Uh, I'm love to hear that you're watching the the races now. That's that's awesome. Um, it, it's it's interesting, and, and to make a point on on Lando's thing, there's a lot of people who want NASCAR to go to the wet tires more, the the rain tires, but I, I feel like they executed it so poorly. Like the purpose of those is when it's done raining and you've dried the track a little bit and it's damp, you throw on the rain tires, and then they can go until it's dry enough to put the slicks back on. So I, I I'm I'm all for doing it again, but you've got to do it right. And so a lot of the old heads of NASCAR are now kind of irritated because of, you know, Oh, we, this is why we don't race in the rain. And it's like, all right, yes, but they were, I was executed poorly on the rain tires. So this week I am actually pouring one out for, uh, the San Diego Padres. And this is something that we were talking about earlier today. And it, it changed my mind. I was going to talk about college baseball yet again. Um, uh, but I'm 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 gonna hold off on that. Uh, but the San Diego Padres, when we were talking about you know teams going for it and and trying to win it all, the Padres were the perfect example. This off season, they added several pieces, including Mark Melanson, who the Braves let walk away, and currently has a .84 ERA and 16 saves. Meanwhile, the Braves have Will Smith, who they are paying two million dollars more than Mark Melanson is getting this year, and he has blown multiple saves this year. Um so I've got to pour one out for the Padres because good for them for being in one of the toughest divisions in Major League Baseball and still saying, you know what, I think that we've got to go for it. We've got to compete. Good for them. Pay the guys that you want you got to pay the money in order to win win. And uh they did that. And then this week, you know what? Instead of doing a cut one off, I'm gonna pour another one out this week. Um I'll do, I'll do I'll do double pour one out. Double tap. So uh, I'm hitting the, I'm hitting the, the, the extra keg out for this one. And, uh, this week I'm, I'm going to pour a second one out and I'm going to pour it out for, uh, for college baseball, very minimal cancellations. They played in, uh, the, the, this year with a lot of uncertainty and the COVID regulations, and they were the first ones to rip off the bandaid of attendance regulations. So, Ole Miss and Mississippi State, they both had huge series coming up. State of Mississippi said, you know what? We're going to, we're going to rip off the band aid. We're going to 100% capacity. Uh, and, and they kind of started a trend amongst college baseball, uh, especially in the SEC that led to all these awesome events. And a lot of, a lot of professional teams followed suit, including the Braves. So. Um, SEC Baseball Tournament is this weekend. Alabama won today. Uh, shout out to them. Ole Miss is on right now. Uh, I, I, I'm not watching any of game, but great opportunity if you don't watch college baseball. Watch some good college baseball this week. Witt, are you pouring one out and cutting one off?
0: I am pouring one out for the Nashville Predators, who made a comeback um, in their series against the Carolina Hurricanes. When they came back to Nashville last week, they had two – Double overtime games that were won on uh, walk-off, walk-off goals. They were fantastic games. I watched both of them. I've been uh, pretty pretty hard into hockey this year. I went to the ho- to the uh, Preds' final game of the season, uh, which was Pecorine's last game. If you don't know who that is, he's um, a really good goalie for the Preds. Um, he's a big fan favorite guy. It was really cool to watch. Um, he set a record, I think, for most saves in a game that game also. Um, so important one out for the Preds. And I'm going to be cutting off two. I have two cutoffs this week. One of them is the New York City mayor for the crap talk. He was talking about Trey Young. Um, I don't know if y'all saw that on Twitter, but the mayor in an interview right before he signed off, decided that he was going to talk about how Trey Young doesn't play the game of basketball right and how he shouldn't take so many fouls. And he hopes in this next game that he plays with integrity and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, but the way that New York has been this past year 2020 2021, I think you got some other things you should be worried about than the New York Knicks. But that's just my take on it. And I'm also going to be cutting off Adam Silver, who is the commissioner of the NBA. I think this whole episode has just turned into a huge NBA talk, which is just fine with me. Um, and I'm going to so I'm going to be cutting off Adam Silver for finding Nate McMillan for talking about how the NBA is biased and how some teams get privilege while the other some of the other teams don't. Um and are kind of just swept under the rug and then LeBron James goes and has this tequila party or it's uh, yeah I think it was a tequila party and violates all these COVID rules and stuff they had in place and they with no explanation whatsoever just said they're just not going to suspend him and then he plays in game one of the NBA playoffs against the Suns so I think that's crap um, it's obvious that. Some people are being looked at in favor and others are not. Atlanta for sure is a team that's kind of been swept under the rug, but Atlanta's one to know in the series against the Knicks and uh hopefully they're gonna make a run in the playoffs and and tell Adam Silver to shut up. I
2: mean that works because how you gonna suspend our man Lemon Pepper Lou and then you and, and then and then let let LeBron walk. LeBron LeBron
0: owns the league, man. Adam's Adam Silver is just a huge pushover. LeBron owns the league.
3: He makes his own decisions. It's such crap. But, keys, you pour one out for? It. Well, actually, let's go ahead and continue with the NBA. I'm going to cut one off here for just the NBA in general some more. The NBA has been the Golden State Lakers show for forever. The media supports that script. The NBA supports that script. Adam Silver supports that script. And, frankly, I'm just ready for some new teams to be in the spotlight. Uh, for example, like the Hawks. Like you said, they've been having a heck of a storyline brewing right now, and after firing their coach midway through the season, they rallied through a bunch of injuries, they became a playoff team with something to prove. Trey Young's going off, he's a really exciting player to watch, and uh, he's the kind of player I think the NBA needs to kind of evolve to be successful, but the media is too busy drooling over LeBron and Steph Curry, who are becoming less and less exciting and more and more dramatic, and the NBA is just getting boring on top of that, and their playoff seating system is jank, so... I'm ready for something positive to happen to make the NBA actually interesting, but I doubt I'll ever see that. And to pour one out, uh, I'm going to go with Austin Riley for the Atlanta Braves, who, thank God, Witt was talking crap about him, because it seems like every player Witt likes to talk crap about, they suddenly start doing really, really well. And uh, over the past seven games, Austin Riley's batting four sixty-one. He went 12 for 26 with two singles, four doubles, six home runs, and 11 RBIs. So he's doing really, really well right now. He had the highest stats. I can't remember of the time period. I don't know if it was the past, the week or, or the month. But he had the highest stats for um, third baseman. So good for Austin Riley. He's really starting to show out. So good for the Braves too.
0: Well, guys, that's our show. Thank you all for coming and listening as always. We appreciate it. Please give us a follow on Instagram at Around the Keg and on Twitter at Around the Keg Pod. Send us any questions or topics you want us to discuss on the show. We'll be happy to include as much as we can.
3: Our feature artist of the week is Hudson Valley. If you're in the Nashville area this weekend, check out their shows on June 4th at Old Red and on June 5th at Whiskey Row downtown on Broadway. Here's their song, Right Place Now, to play us out. Have a great week. See y'all.
4: been my heart on at the time I've had bad luck that turned out to be the kind that opened up my eyes to the cool But the kind I've never had till you. I've had good wine that tastes better now you true. Glasses side by side, instead of me crying like I did.